This morning's reading is from um, Luke 10, uh, verses 1 through 21. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and set them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son, and if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is said before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near, near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town uh, that clings to your feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Well, good morning. My name is Daniel. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm glad you're with us. And I'm going to pray for us and remind us. Uh, Isaiah 40 tells us the grass withers, the flowers fade, but God's word endures forever. Uh, so let's go before uh, God in prayer before we get into this text. God, I thank you that you're with us, that you speak to us, that you have revealed yourself to us in the scriptures, that they are living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. I pray that by your spirit, you would pierce our spirits that you would lead us to, to know you, to experience you, to be changed by you. Lord, thank you that you're with us this morning. Uh, Lord, I pray that, that me, the preacher, would be removed and Christ, you would be exalted. The words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to you. You're our Lord, you're our rock, you're our redeemer. You're the king of your kingdom. I pray that you would speak to us, Jesus, in your name. Amen. 
Well, we are nearing the end of our series that we've titled Renew for the Glory of God and the Good of Durham. It's a, a series by which we have been uh, trying to communicate the vision of our church and the values that we hold to. We have already preached on three of the five values, uh, our values of being grace-centered, cross, uh, cross-cultural, worship-driven, uh, and this morning we are looking at Kingdom Catalyst and next week, Outward Service. Uh, so I've said this before, if this is your first, your second time, or third time coming to Christ Central, this is a really good time to, to kind of see what we're about as a church, because we are trying to be as clear as we can about who we are, how we behave, and what our hopes are for this church. If you've seen any of the TED Talks, uh, one of uh, the most watched TED Talks is a talk on leadership, three-minute video by Derek Sivers titled, How to Start a Movement. And I don't necessarily agree with all that Sivers says in the three minutes, but I found the video very interesting. Sivers is talking about what creates, what starts a movement. And he shows a video of a concert on a lawn. And there's a crowd of people sitting on a large grassy knoll, and one person gets up and starts to dance all by themselves. This is the leader, the initiator, the one who begins what will become a movement. And for a while, the person is dancing all alone, and then a brave soul gets up, starts to dance with them, and then slowly you see others start to join in. And before long, the majority of the crowd has joined and formed this large dance mob. And and Sivers' major point is that the leader catalyzes the movement, but it's the second person who joined the dance party who ignites it from one to two into a movement. This morning, we're going to talk about a gospel movement, a core value here at Christ Central that we call Kingdom Catalyst. A gospel movement, a movement that we see in the New Testament in the book of Acts go from 100 followers to thousands, to hundreds of thousands, to by 390 AD, there are millions of followers of Jesus. Until today, there's an estimated 2.2 billion followers of Christ. And in this gospel movement, there is a clear leader, King Jesus, who is the catalyst, and then the church who follows ignites a worldwide movement. So let me go ahead and warn you that the kingdom of God, this gospel movement, is countercultural. Uh, it is countercultural in at least two ways. The first way we see is through uh, author and New York Times columnist David Brooks. He, he writes this that if you were born in the last 60 years, In the words of philosopher Charles Taylor, you were born in a culture of authenticity. Uh, That's most of us in here. Not all of us, but most of us born in the last 60 years. And he says this, a person's personal feelings, if you're born in the last 60 years, are the best guide for right and wrong. That the self is trusted and not doubted. That we live in a culture of if it feels good inside, if it feels good, you do it. That the valid rules for life are those you make and accept for yourself. Or in the words of another eloquent writer, Kanye West, I am nothing if I can't be me. The cultural norm of our day is let me be me. I trust myself more than I trust anything else. And this gospel movement counters this by the very mention of kingdom. Because mentioning a kingdom means there is submission and following a king rather than self. Now, another reason that this gospel movement counters our culture of authenticity, or as Brooks terms it, cultural orthodoxy, which which says, let me be me, is that a byproduct of this belief of let me be me says, believe what you want, 
Just don't spread your beliefs. And that's our culture. Yet what many people fail to understand is that all movements are evangelistic. That's how they spread. That's how they grow. You call others to join in. Sexual revolution grew this way. The civil rights movement grew this way. Smaller movements grow in the same way. I had a pastor friend eight years ago who was extremely evangelistic about joining CrossFit. He talked about it all the time. Told everybody uh, in our prayer group, you gotta, try, you gotta try CrossFit. And I've joined the movement. And it is the fastest growing sport in the country. I mean, everybody is, ev- is evangelistic in their beliefs. And so I'll just go ahead and say that the people of God who are part of this gospel movement are to be evangelistic. And that's countercultural. Here's the other way that this movement of the gospel is countercultural is that it counters a current Western North American church norm, which is this thought. Jesus came primarily to save and deal with me. We start off our discovery class, which is kind of our membership class, kind of get to know who we are a a little bit more deeply. And, And we start the class by asking this question, why did Jesus come, live, die, and rise again? And we get people to respond. And often a a response is Jesus came to forgive my sin and and to heal me. The North American church can have a hyper-individualized view of what Jesus came to accomplish. A kingdom is not about just one individual, individual follower of the king. Jesus came to build a kingdom. Now, let me say this. We just started a men's Bible study using a curriculum called Voice of the Heart. And it's taking men into our feelings as they relate to our view of ourself and our view in relationship with God. I am all about engaging the individual heart and self. I am pro-counseling. I'm all about that. But a knowledge of self that doesn't lead to a love for others and a love for God, or in other words, doesn't uh, lead to living for God's kingdom is incomplete. So these are the ways that this gospel movement, the kingdom of God, is countercultural. So let's look at this core value of kingdom catalyst. How can we hold and be shaped by this value? The first point is that we need to believe the gospel of the kingdom. We need to believe the gospel of the kingdom. Verse 1 says, Jesus is Lord. He's the Lord. He's the king. Matthew 24, 14, Jesus says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world. Two words that we must understand, gospel and kingdom. Two words that we throw out in Christian lingo all the time that I don't know if we always know what we mean when we say gospel or kingdom. So let's look at these two words, gospel and kingdom. Gospel is a word that Jesus and the early church chose to describe himself and his work. Historically, the word gospel was a word that meant an objective history-changing event in which everyone must respond to. It was the announcement of a major history-changing event that impacted everyone, and Jesus in the early church chose this word gospel to describe himself and what he accomplished. In the ancient Near East uh, writings, there there would be writings that would say the gospel of Caesar Augustus, meaning the rule and reign of Caesar Augustus changed the landscape of the world, changed the landscape of history. One of the most famous examples of gospel that we have in history was the historical event of 490 AD when the Persian army was invading Greece and everyone was expecting this large Persian army to dominate and take over Greece 
And so everybody in the capital of Athens and Greece was in full panic. But as the Persians and Greeks met in battle in the city of Marathon, the Greeks won. And as soon as they won and they knew the victory was sure, they knew they had to communicate this gospel, this good news of victory, that it was absolutely critical to communicate this history-changing event of victory over Persia. And the only way they knew to get the news, news back to Athens was to have a single person run from Marathon to Athens, a little over 25 miles. All you runners, it's where we get the term running a marathon, running a marathon. So this runner ran from Marathon to Athens, was extremely exhausted upon arrival. All he did when he arrived in Athens was shout, rejoice, we triumphed. And then he fell dead from exhaustion. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the good news of Jesus. His perfect life lived in obedience to the Father. His sacrificial death on a cross as a substitute. His victorious rising from the grave, upon which verse 18 in our passage tells us, Satan fell like lightning. In Christ, the death blow was given to Satan. Christ is the victor in this great cosmic battle of darkness versus light. In Christ, victory is sure. It's a history-changing event that impacts the whole world. This is the gospel, the good news of victory, the good news that we can rejoice that he has triumphed. This is good news. Amen? Amen? It's the good news of a kingdom. So what do we mean by kingdom? Kingdom means there's a king. There are people and there's a place. That's simple. There's a king who rules over a people in a particular place. The closest thing that we might think of of a kingdom is the United Kingdom. Right? There's a queen. If you live there, you're part of this kingdom and you live in a place, right? There are borders and boundaries. Well, Jesus is the king of his kingdom. He is the Lord and all who trust and believe and follow the king are his people. So where's the place? John 13, verse 3 tells us, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, all things, the kingdom is everywhere that Jesus rules and and reigns. It's everywhere, all things. So here's an important question as we think about Jesus' kingdom. Who builds this kingdom? I think uh, today uh, we we like to to pray a lot and, and talk a lot in the lingo of let's build the kingdom as if we're the ones building the kingdom. But Jesus in Revelation 21.5 says, Behold, I am making all things new. He is the master craftsman of his kingdom. Jesus says in Matthew 16.18, I will build my church. Jesus is the one who is building the church. And so we, verse 2 of Luke 10, pray. We pray to the Lord of the harvest. We pray to the king to build his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, in Durham as it is in heaven. This is a good place for me to say that the way Christ builds his kingdom may not always look like the way we envision or expect. We are coming up on our three-year anniversary as a church. We we are in infant stages as a church. We started almost three years ago, and we had hopes and plans and dreams. And some of those things have come true. Some of those things we are praying still come true. And there are things that God is doing in us that are different than we had anticipated or expected. In God's kingdom, the church can and should be proactive 
we should pray, we should dream. But much of being God's people is reacting to what God is doing and how he is building his kingdom in and through us. I mean, as a pastor, I pray, I plan, I hope, I dream, but I am so thankful that Jesus builds this church, that he is in charge, that he's the king, he's the master architect of what is happening in our church, Christ Central, and in the city of Durham. He is the leader of this movement. But the king does have followers in the kingdom who ignite and carry on what he has catalyzed. So this leads to the second point of how we hold to being kingdom catalysts. All labor for the gospel of the kingdom. Every person labors for the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus sends out the 72 in pairs, two by two, never alone, but in community. And Jesus, building his kingdom, uses us. And he sends us into the world. Verse 3, he says, Go your way. Behold, I am sending you. There's a preacher who was speaking years ago at an open-air crusade in Halifax, Nova Scotia. And Billy Graham was to speak the following night, uh, but Billy Graham arrived a day early. And so he came unannounced and sat on the grass uh, with the crowd as this one preacher was preaching. And in front of Billy Graham sat an elderly man who, who seemed to be listening attentively to the preaching. And when this preacher ca- called people to come forward and to commit their life to Christ, the man didn't move. And so Dr. Billy Graham tapped the man on the shoulder and said, Would you like to accept Christ? I, I would be glad to walk down with you if that would help. And the old man looked Billy Graham up and down and shook his head and said, no, 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 I'll just wait for the big gun to show up tomorrow night. (laughs) And I think that shows the thinking, not of just this man, but of many of us, that we can believe laboring and declaring the gospel of the kingdom to the world is reserved for the big guns, for the pastors or the elders or the staff of the church. But as Chanel prayed in congressional prayer, it's for all. It's for every person who knows and trusts the king. We all are sent out into the harvest to be laborers for the kingdom. An old missionary once said, the power of the church is not in its seeding capacity, but in its sending capacity. Church is a place of worship and care and discipleship and evangelism. It's a place where we gather every Sunday morning and throughout the week, but every Sunday morning you are sent back out into the harvest, into the city of Durham to labor for the kingdom. Verses 1 to 20 of Luke 10 show us that laboring for this kingdom is to proclaim this gospel, this good news through word. We have a message that our God reigns, that Christ has triumphed, right? But if we were to continue reading Luke 10, verses 25 to 37, we'd read the parable of the Good Samaritan, where we see we declare this gospel of the kingdom through deeds, how we live our lives. The declaration of the kingdom is in word and deed. It's holistic. The gospel, this good news, impacts people spiritually, psychologically, emotionally, physically. It impacts not just people, but institutions, cities, and countries. Listen to this quote by Tim Keller in his book, Ministries of Mercy. It's a decently long quote. He says, What is the relationship of the church to the kingdom? On the one hand, the church is a pilot plant of the kingdom of God. It's not simply a collection of individuals who are forgiven. It's a royal nation, 1 Peter chapter 2. In other words, it's a counterculture. 
The church is to be a new society in which the world can see what family dynamics, business practices, race relations, and all of life can be under the kingship of Jesus Christ. God is out to heal all the effects of sin, psychological, social, and physical. On the the other hand, the church is to be an agent of the kingdom. It's not only to model the healing of God's rule, but it is to spread it. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. 1 Peter 2. Christians go into the world as witnesses of the kingdom. To spread the kingdom of God is more than simply winning people to Christ. It's also working for the healing of persons, families, relationships, and nations. It is doing deeds of mercy and seeking justice. It is ordering lives and relationships and institutions and communities according to God's authority to bring in the blessedness of the kingdom. Christ Central, we are to be a counterculture where a watching world sees how Christ impacts our families, our business, our race relations, where our neighbors see the way we love each other and conduct our lives and they ask us how and why. We are to be witnesses of the kingdom and we spread the kingdom, which is more than just individual lives. We are extending mercy and justice and love and beauty and grace into all areas according to the authority of our king. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says that you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he has prepared in advance for you. Let me read that again. You, individually, are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he has prepared in advance for you. That means each and every one of you is uniquely gifted and shaped. Each and every one of you with your particular history your family, your age, your gender, your race are uniquely gifted and shaped to be used in a way that only you can be used. He has prepared you to reach certain people that only you can reach. Certain hearts and certain lives that only you can impact. Certain tears only you can wipe away. Certain hands only you can hold. Certain people only you can come alongside of and love. Each of you are to be sent out of here into the harvest of our city to labor for the kingdom, to proclaim in word and deed this gospel of King Jesus. As a church, we should be praying for the entire city of Durham that Jesus would rule and reign in every sphere of this city. Now, here are some things in the future, that we pray, Christ Central as a church, organizationally, that king, the king would catalyze us forward into this city and the world in. The first way that we have been praying and continue to pray is that we would be a church-planting church. We long and we pray that we would plant many churches in Durham and around our country and around the world. We've always had this vision from day one. Now, we're three years old as a church, and and so we have to grow, continue to grow in our stability and our strength. But we plan to send people out, groups of people together with financial backing to certain parts of our city to plant other churches. We believe planting churches are the, is the single best way to reach and equip people in the gospel of the kingdom. 
Over 275,000 people live in Durham. Many unchurched or dechurched, meaning they've left the church. Thousands moving into Durham every year who don't know Jesus. We will have opportunity after opportunity to invite people to know Jesus and to invite people into our community or into a new church plan. Second way is we hope to be engaged continually in justice and mercy organization. As a church, we already partner with existing justice and mercy organizations. Organizations like World Relief and Step Up and Jobs for Life and Justice Matters. And we hope to continue to grow in our partnerships. But from the beginning, Timothy and I have dreamed that we would love to start a nonprofit 501c3 that's connected to our church but separate. And that this nonprofit would engage in multiple lanes of mercy and justice education, affordable housing, job provision, job retention, just to name a few. Another way that we would love to see the kingdom go forward is through counseling. Timothy and I both highly value Christian counseling for all people, whether that be family issues, marriage issues, personal issues, but we also value it for people who are marginalized, who may not have the finances to afford private counseling. And so we want to partner with existing counseling services like we do already with Abundant Joy, which is free counseling for women, and we are hopeful to partner in the future with counseling services that will come. The last way that I'll mention is that we, we want to engage in faith and work initiatives. We want to help those of you who follow Jesus to see how your faith interacts and connects to your work, whether that be in your fields of education or health or business or arts or services We want to provide training and and mentoring and internships to help equip followers of Jesus know how to connect their faith and their work. Now, these are just some of the things that we've prayed long for since the beginning, that we we prayed God would catalyze us forward as a church into. And we want all of our core values, grace-centered, worship-driven, cross-cultural, outward service, to be a lens by which we carry out these means of being a kingdom catalyst. Now, I believe the Lord has a lot in store for Christ Central. We're just three years. We're young. But here's a prayer I've prayed since the beginning, and I continue to pray for our church. God, would you let Christ Central Church be flourishing in Durham and glorifying God in 100 years from now? 100 years from now, would Christ Central be flourishing and glorifying God? And I believe if we continue to preach the gospel of the kingdom and you are gripped by the king, And each of you are sent out with purpose to labor on behalf of the king and his kingdom in all spheres for his glory. We'll be around in 100 years. And we won't just be around, but we'll be flourishing. Last point here of how we hold to this value of kingdom catalyst is that we must put our confidence in the gospel of the kingdom. As Christians and as a church even, Our confidence and our motivation can be in something good or something bad. It was for the followers of Jesus here in Luke chapter 10. Look at verse 20. Jesus tells them, Don't rejoice at all you saw happen, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Let your joy, Jesus is telling them, come, and your confidence come from your names being written in heaven. In the ancient Near East, in every town, there was a roll or a census. And only citizens of that place had their names on the roll. To have a name, you were somebody, you were a citizen. And Jesus is saying, Christian, 
I don't want you to get a sense of self from the power that you have, the gifts that you have, the successes that you might have, church. I don't want you to get a sense of self from the success you might have, Christ Central. I don't want you to get a a sense of self from all that's happened in the past three years. No, because if you do, this leads to the thinking like Satan, which is pride, and pride leads to the fall. If we as a church or you as a follower of Christ is confident in your gifts or your successes or you're motivated for success, people and our city will become a trophy. They'll become a trophy. If good things happen, you'll boast and you'll want to show it off. If bad things happen or things don't go as expected, you'll get angry at God and at people. We must not use people or this city as a means for ourselves. There's a much better way for us to rejoice and have confidence. That's because our names are in heaven. We are citizens of a kingdom with a king who rules lovingly and justly over all. A kingdom that Jesus says will prevail victoriously. And it's with this confidence you are sent out into the harvest with courage as lambs in the midst of wolves. Always with gentleness, Christian, because we are always lambs and we're never wolves. Sent out into the harvest to be sacrificial, carrying no money, willing to give your life away. Sent to be empathetic. Jesus says, woe to you, Chorazin and Bethsaida. At first, that that sounds like, like Jesus may be cursing the cities. But it's not a curse. Jesus is crying out in distress. It's a cry of empathy. It's emotional engagement, not detachment. And so what that means for us is we're sent out into the cities that we cry out on behalf of Durham. Not getting angry at the city in ways that we wish it would be better, but longing and crying out for the kingdom to come in Durham as it is in heaven. If you individually rejoice, or we as a church rejoice in what we do, it will ultimately desert you. It will leave you. And it will never satisfy you. I I want you to listen. I haven't done this, I don't think, before here. I have in other areas I've preached. But I'm going to show a video this morning of Jim Carrey at the Golden Globes this past year. And it appears as though Jim Carrey comes off script when he's introducing the best comedy uh, film for the year. And he comes off script, I think, because something strikes him inside when they are announcing Jim Carrey and they call him Jim Carrey, the two-time Golden Globe winner. And I want you to listen and see how he uses his humor in such a way to touch on a truth that the search for significance and success, or for him being a two-time Golden Globe winner, doesn't satisfy. It's not enough. So let's, let's look, see if this works. So Jim Carrey, you can feel the tension almost as he's saying that in that room. Everybody knows it's true, but they're laughing. He uses his humor to touch on something deep down inside of all of us, that our pursuit of things anywhere outside of this gospel and outside of Jesus will not satisfy. Our search, it, it it will prove empty and never enough unless we rejoice that our names are written in heaven to trust King Jesus, that by faith in Him we are citizens of a kingdom, and that gives us confidence and security and joy that nothing else will ever give us. And it's out of that confidence, it's out of that security and that joy that we're then sent out to be laborers in word and deed for Christ and His kingdom. Church, we are to be kingdom catalysts 
part of a gospel worldwide movement. To seek first his kingdom. And each and every one of you are uniquely gifted to be sent out and to be used in his kingdom in only a way that you can be used. So let's pray that in every sphere of our city and this world that Jesus would be glorified and that he would be made much of. Let's pray. God, I ask that you would, even in the discomfort of our own hearts, we know that we search for significance in so many ways outside of being citizens of the kingdom. Whether that be in our jobs or our families or our reputations or our success, our failures. Lord, we long for more. We hope for more. But Lord, we've obtained it all because our names are written in heaven. We've been brought in by your grace to a kingdom that will never perish and that cannot be shaken. So Lord, I pray that you would give us confidence and give us great joy. Give us hope that it only comes from this gospel. And God, I pray that you would send us individually and corporately into this city to see King Jesus made much of, to see you glorified. Lord, whether, wherever that may be, however that may be, would we be willing and would we be excited to follow you, whatever it may be and wherever it might be. In Jesus' name, amen.